Welcome back to the Like a Bigfoot podcast. I'm your host, Chris Ward, and this week will be the most inspiring, feel-good episode of the podcast of all time. And by all time, I mean of the 17 episodes that we have done. (laughs) But it's the holiday season, man. So it's got to be feel good. And our story this week is with a man who's so driven to help others and give to others that basically his story could be a lifetime holiday movie. If that Lifetime movie involved having giant infected blisters on both of your feet (laughs) and then running a thousand more miles over 39 more days on said blisters. My guest this week is Tim Wambach. And after you listen to his story, you pretty much have to come away inspired by so many aspects of it. He's started a charity that benefits thousands of people. He tours around the country with his best friend, Mike, uh, who has cerebral palsy, and they do public speaking engagements. He isn't afraid to just put himself out there And do something crazy without really knowing what the outcome is going to be. He, (laughs) this is just me listing off things, like awesome things he's done, (laughs) which you'll hear in the podcast. So I don't know why I'm listening to him now, but I really want you to understand how special of a guy Tim is and how important it is to know people like him or listen to their stories or Let yourself become inspired by them. Tim, twice in 2005, excuse me, 2007, and in 2016, basically ran multiple ultra marathons as he traversed from Orlando to Chicago over the course of 30 to 40 days. And... Tim doesn't really consider himself a runner. I mean, he says he runs for exercise, but he's not like a world-class endurance ultra champion runner. Just a regular guy with a cause. And that is what really connected to me when I heard about Tim. The fact that he has such a clear cause and the fact that he's doing everything in his power to help that cause out. And his cause is to help out people with cerebral palsy around the world in basically any way he possibly can. And that's inspiring to me because recently, maybe not even recently, maybe just forever, I'm a man in search of my own cause, in search of what I can do to make the world a better place. And obviously, you know, one of my causes is to raise two wonderful children 
um, raise them in a loving household, show them what a loving relationship is, um, you know, have an amazing family life. And that's a great cause. Don't get me wrong. But at times I find myself anxious because I don't really, I haven't really fully figured out what I'm striving to do in this world yet. I don't know if that makes sense. And I don't know if I explained that in the most clear way, but it's something I'm still trying to work out. So hearing about Tim and hearing that for the last 12 years, he's really been focused on this one thing. And this thing is to help out people with disabilities and empower them and make them and their families feel more comfortable and maybe eliminate some of the obstacles which you and I, you and I can barely comprehend but maybe eliminate some of those obstacles from their lives and that to me is super inspiring and it's empowering to me knowing that there are people out there with that clear vision who are giving themselves for other people. It's something I look up to and it's something I'm striving to be. And on top of that, since this is the Like a Bigfoot podcast, this he's going to tell an amazing story about some crazy ultra-endurance, physical activity, sports, athletic blisters and grossness and infections on his feet and just like mind over mattering his way through it and getting it done and accomplishing his goal no matter what obstacles jumped in his way because he set out for something and he's going to accomplish it no matter what and before we start the podcast really quick you can check out tim's businesses one's called keep on keeping on and you can find it at www.teamcoco.org. And his public speaking engagements is called Handicap This. And you can find it at www.handicapthis.com. Tim also does a fantastic entrepreneur podcast called Boss Free Society Podcast, which is fantastic. You should for sure check it out. He is a podcasting veteran at this point with 132 episodes so please check out all of tim's endeavors and if you want to donate to his cause it's teamcoco.org and coco's k-o-k-o and on that note let's jump right into our conversation with tim happy holidays guys um hope you have an amazing vacation break whatever you want to call it and I hope you enjoy this interview. So let's give a giant welcome. Episode number 17 of the Like a Bigfoot podcast, Tim Wambach. Give us a little bit a little bit of background on Keep On Keeping On and Handicap This. Yeah, so really um, where the where the background starts is um, in 2001, I met Mike Berkson. Um, 
Mike uh, at the time was a 12 year old, 12 year old kid. Uh, Mike had cerebral palsy, virtually no movement of his arms and his legs. And for, I was Mike's one-on-one aide in school. I was hired to be Mike's one-on-one aide. So I was 27 at the time that I met Mike 15 years ago when he was 12, and Mike was in seventh grade. So I was Mike's one-on-one aide, and we just developed a special relationship. You know, like he was someone that, because of his cerebral palsy, he has virtually no movement of his arms and his legs. But he's brilliant, hysterical, funny, and I just I, we we became instant friends. So. Working with him really showed me what life is all about and and showed me that I was taking so much for granted, really. And, um, you know, Mike had this just great attitude and, and working with him was something that opened my eyes that that weren't they weren't opened to before like one of the times you know we went we were in a this the first time i took mike out, out to the mall and we're we're in the mall and as we rolled in because so mike mike has a mike uses a wheelchair and it's a manual chair so i would be pushing mike so okay. you know as as we rolled in I, you know i noticed people's reactions to, to seeing mike you know they, they'd see mike they kid people would immediately look away you know, parents would pull their kids in closer, and rush past us, right? Like if, like if they would catch what Mike has, we might make. Do you, do you think it's close. the parents are afraid their kids are going to say something? Maybe possibly, yeah. possibly. You know, a lot of times that's definitely the case. Um, it's not. You know, it's really interesting because you never know what what that yeah what that motivation is. So you tend to kind of use probably your mind goes to like the worst possible spot you know so um for me though looking at it i was like you know they 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 don't see mike you know they see mike's wheelchair they they see mike's you know his deform you know his, his um his arms are uh i don't know how the what's the best word to describe it but um Mike would say that his arms are deformed. Yeah. So like his his hands are are cupped. Like he doesn't have use of his of his fingers like you or I do. So, um, you know, it was just it was an interesting reaction seeing people uh, when they saw Mike. So you know what I realized was that they they weren't seeing Mike, and you know they didn't they didn't know about Mike's you know witty sense of humor. They didn't yeah. they you know hear his razor sharp wit or anything they just saw this kid in a wheelchair so they, they never did really see mike um so that was like what kind of struck me initially was was that experience and that experience motivated me to to want to change uh to want to change people's outlook want to change people's um perceptions and that i would say is like really the the story or the you know the the domino that fell, the fulcrum, whatever you want to call it, that really <laughs> propelled me to to want to help. Yeah, and, and you know through through the years working with Mike, you know, it, I just saw things happen time and time and time again that motivated me even more. And in 2005, I, I came up with this uh, this crazy idea. Uh, now I should back up before I go into the crazy idea. So <laughs> Mike. Mike has a able-bodied twin brother, an okay. identical twin is able-bodied. His name's David. So, and they're best friends, and they're and they still are today. But they were best friends back then, and you know it was it was really cool spending time with them and you know being a part of their lives. So, I wanted to do something kind of to honor Mike and I's relationship, and I wanted to um, kind of do something kind of crazy. So, 
what ended up happening was I had this idea that I would take Mike and David and I'd take them to Walt Disney World in Orlando and we'd have a fun time uh, having as much fun as we could over for a weekend. And then after that weekend was over, Mike and David would fly back to Chicago, uh, leaving me behind to run back. So this was 2005. <laughs> And in 2005, um, I, I ran 717 miles between Orlando and Chicago, and that was that was the the my first time I did this run, right? And this yeah. was like the thing. This was the uh, the 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 storybook ending that that I guess our story needed. Uh, but we were on the front page of the Chicago Tribune, and uh, then people started asking us to tell our story, and. After a while, it kind of just we started getting more and more requests, and then Mike and I turned, um, turned, you know, our those those requests to tell our story. We turned that into a speaking career, and along the way of of creating um, our speaking career, we also started a nonprofit organization called Keep On Keeping On, which and is a great not, name, by the way. <laughs> you know, and that's that's really what, so kind of backstory on that on the name. Um, have you ever read the book Think and Grow Rich? I haven't. I have. I have it, but I haven't read it yet. That's Along with many books. Solution. <laughs> New Year's resolution, twenty seventeen. Read yeah. Think and Grow Rich. <laughs> Anytime I have ever like been to a seminar or you know read some success book, everyone always like references Think and Grow Rich, right? So when I was twenty one years old, I read Think and Grow Rich, and it was in one of the pages early on in the book. One of the phrases was. You know, you just have to keep on keeping on. I remember I circled it, highlighted it, and that was just like, that was like my mantra, right? So I worked as a youth director at my parish for a bunch of years, and I, you know, I would have like a, a bulletin article every every week. I would get to, you know, put something in the bulletin. I guess you could say it was like a blog before blogs existed. <laughs> this was like in the early, you know, this was like in the mid '90s. Blog so, training. Yeah, it was like just like an article. It wasn't you know? It was it wasn't anything special. But at the end of the day, or at the end of the article, I would I would sign it. Keep on keeping on, Tim. So this was uh, I was the youth director from '95 to '99. So, but it wasn't until I met Mike that I realized what keep on keeping on really means. And that opened up everything. And then that's when, uh, after the run, uh, a couple of friends that helped me uh, a part of, be, a, be a part of the run that kind of helped my was on my crew and this and that. We um, we decided to start this 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 non non for profit. Keep on keeping on. And we had started doing. Uh, holiday fundraisers uh, in December. We we started in 2005, we did it again in 2006, and then we did it again in 2007, and then that one in 2007 really, really sparked, and then we started being a little bit more and more proactive with, with the foundation, and, and what the foundation does is we uh, help those living with severe physical disabilities, like cerebral palsy and muscular dystrophy. So. You know, we've purchased hospital beds, we've purchased iPads, we've paid for physical therapy sessions, we uh, purchased wheelchairs, we put, uh, we've put, we widened doorways in a home. We actually even um, put an elevator in a home. Wow. There's, there's this family that um, they had quadruplets, four, four kids, and three of their, all four have cerebral palsy, and three of them um, use wheelchairs. So yeah. um, they contacted us, and, and they, they, they said they really need this for, for their family, and we were able, excuse me, we were able to uh, to raise the money to put an elevator in, in their home. That was, that's kind of like our signature, our signature story. How did you, how did you go about raising the money? 
Well, you know, because being a nonprofit is it's a it's a it's a blessing and a curse, I guess. Uh, the, the big thing is the, 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 we already had in place of raising money, like at these fundraisers. So we we started having like holiday fundraisers, which we called Santa Cause, is what we is what we <laughs> called it. Um, and that was that was really cool, um, where we would have. It started off. We had the first year we did it. We had like stand-up comedians, and then the second year we did it, we had like a we did a singles auction, right? And then the singles auction just kind of took off a life of its own. So we started doing singles auctions like every year, <laughs> and they like really brought in a lot of money. Um, and then also we developed a partnership with a restaurant um, called Cooper's Hawk Winery and Restaurant. Um, and they have a wine club that has like I don't know what they are now, but when they first when they kind of approached us, they had like ten thousand members. I think they're at like a hundred thousand now. But so they had a they would have a golf outing, and every year their golf outing would support our foundation. So we would get you know five thousand, fifteen thousand, twenty thousand. I guess it kind of kind of kept growing. Uh, unfortunately, Cooperstock doesn't doesn't do that uh, event anymore. So. <laughs> But that definitely helped us. That helped us, um, you know, with raise a lot of money. And we had a, we won a grant um, for uh, like twenty five thousand dollars. And so just little things here and there um, that kind of build it up. We also have in March, and this kind of goes along with with keep on keeping on what it means. Uh, on March fourth, we have an event called March fourth. F O R T. So. Um, and that's another, you know, it's like a, it's like a banquet style yeah. uh, event where we ha- we have keynote speakers. And actually, last year we had uh, Michael Kutcher, who um, Michael has uh, cerebral palsy. He was a heart uh, heart transplant recipient as well when he was like twelve or thirteen years old. And he's the twin brother of Ashton Kutcher. Okay. Um, so he was he, ironically so michael came to one of mike and i's shows we haven't gotten to that yet but <laughs> <laughs> mike and i have a show called handicap this and he came to our show in like 2012 and we just kind of developed a, a relationship and um we had him come and be our keynote speaker last year and we uh we've also honored did you ever see the movie hotel rwanda yeah oh dude i there was a certain point in that movie i think it's there's a scene where don Cheadle. He finally, he's so stressed out trying to help everybody, and he, like, gets a moment alone in the bathroom, and he breaks down, like, weeping, and I'm sitting on the couch in college by myself. No one else is in the house, <laughs> and I'm just Kleenex box, you know, wiping my face, like, oh, Don Cheadle, no. But, yeah, <laughs> well, so I have. <laughs> so Don, Don Cheadle played Paul Russus as a beginner. I think I pronounced that last name right. It's, it's, so we were able to get Paul to what? be our keynote speaker. <sighs> Yeah, that would was, be amazing. It was absolutely amazing. I, you know what? I, I'll, I'll try to see if I can get a, a picture to you. That'd be um, great. We had we had a picture with Paul, and he was our he was our keynote speaker, and he was I mean, talk about keep on keeping on and March fourth, right? Like he was someone that, you know, was just an incredible soul. So for those people that aren't um, familiar with the story, so Paul was I guess was living in South Africa and you know with the genocide that was going on and he helped save over 1100 people at least that's he's credited with saving like 1100 yeah. people and, and he, he had he kept him in his hotel right exactly yeah so he was he was one of our our um our our keynote speakers as well. So that was, so that was another, another thing that we've done, you know, we, to raise money is, you know, we have these events and, you know, like a dinner event. And so, you know, we sell tickets and, um, 
you know, that's that's kind of how we do it. <laughs> how did you reach out to him? I mean, well, we were very lucky. So yeah. one of our our board members is was on the board member was a board member of his foundation okay so we had a very straight line we had a straight line to paul uh and and so this this guy uh was able to um you know he knew his schedule and so we said is he available on march 4th he's like (laughs) he's available so at the time paul was living in uh san antonio so we had we flew him to chicago and uh and he was ready to roll. That's awesome. So you keep saying what keep on keeping on means. What does it mean? What does it mean to you? I mean, if you had to define it in a sentence or so, never give up. Yeah. And that's it. Like that really is to never give up. Like as long as you have a heartbeat, you can't give up. Like yeah. you have to something, whatever it is, right. Whether, you know, whether it's just knowing that the sun's going to come up tomorrow or whatever, you have to, uh, you have to hang your hat on something and just never give up. And the thing that, you know, like I said, with meeting Mike, he embodies that spirit, like the, nobody like Mike every day is, is this like huge obstacle for him. And you, and every day he gets through it and he finds a way through it, both mentally and physically, you know, like I looking at you know back at you know how mike has has grown up and you know has overcome so much different different obstacles like he's had so many different surgeries he's had back surgeries you know all these different types of ailments and stuff and you know every time i see him he's you know, he's always laughing and he's always smiling and he always has uh, a funny thing to say and then like one of the things like for me what he says to me is he's like there's i i can always find something funny in any situation and that really makes a lot of uh makes a lot of sense to me right and and then it, to me it's you know i so I see that sometimes I take things too seriously and you know working with mike has allowed me to kind of take take a step back and and to to laugh more yeah it's nice knowing people that do that for you because for instance the other day i was just incredibly stressed out cranky in a terrible mood and my two and a half year old just walked up to me and she's like don't be frustrated dad you don't need to be mad and i'm like it was just the cutest thing in the world and instantly it just put everything in perspective and i was like what am i worrying about this is, you know, like almost all of our worries throughout the day are things that really, in the grand scheme of things, are very small. <laughs> and, and your two and a half year old knew it intuitively. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Oh, man. Okay. So, yeah, I also heard, um, at one point, I heard this saying and it really stuck with me. It's uh, in the road, there's going to be speed bumps, but there's never going to be a stop sign. So, no matter what. <laughs> No matter what you're going through, you know, you're going to hit some speed bumps, but ultimately nothing's going to stop you. There might be some U-turns in there and and then, you know, getting off at the wrong exits and things like that. Going off-roading for a while. But like you said, there's no, you know, you don't stop. You don't, you don't, you know, you don't, uh, you don't go, you don't turn around and go home and cry. Yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) Even though you might. (laughs) Oh, I'm sure, man. And I'm sure. So I want to hear a little bit about the public speaking because you're talking about running this like a thousand mile run, right? Which most people would find terrifying. But I think the one thing they would find even more terrifying is public speaking. <laughs> well, it's truly, you know, it's the funny, the Jerry Seinfeld joke. Um, Jerry Seinfeld said that the, the number one fear in life is the 
is uh, fear of public speaking, and the number two is death. So if you're <laughs> at a funeral, you're better be the one in the casket than the one giving the eulogy. <laughs> That's a Jerry Seinfeld joke. It's not mine. I mean, I, I use it. So were you? Well, first of all, what is handicap? This is it like a TED talk, a sketch? Is it storytelling? All of the above, actually. Yeah. Mike and I did a, did a TED talk at Iowa City, actually. No way. Okay. Uh, yeah, in Iowa City, we did it. Um, I'll never forget it because it was 11, 11, 11, November 11th, 2011, in Iowa City, TEDx. Um, we did a, we did a, a, a presentation there. Um, do you know Mitch Matthews also? Yeah, actually, um, he's so he's the re- one of the reasons why I started this podcast. I don't actually know him in person, but okay. um, I heard our friend Calvin on his podcast. And oh, then dream, I started think, listening to all of his episodes, and he yeah, has, it's, it's called uh, Dream, Think, Do, which is essentially like come up with a dream, think it through how you're going to do it, and then actually accomplish it. So Exactly. Yeah, Mitch is, is an awesome, awesome individual, and he was actually the reason why we got the TED uh, presentation. He, he, he was speaking at it. And then I met him at a Succeed Faster event that Adam Carroll puts on, and Mitch and I were talking, and I, you know, I told him my story, and then he's like, you know what, you should submit your story to the TEDx people. They're still, uh, they're still looking for for speakers. So he kind of kind of connected us to to uh, to the people that were developing the conference, and then they they took us, and we we we. Uh, we spoke there, and it's on. It's on there. It's on the. It's a TEDx Iowa City is um, where the talk is. So if like you go on YouTube, you type in "handicap this Iowa City," it'll it'll come up. So long story short, with with handicap this, uh, it's really it's Mike and I's it's Mike and I's relationship on stage. So we have different formats of it. So we we ha- we had help in the beginning to get it off the ground. Um, we had one of our friends, Molly McCrone, help us. Uh, come up with a script that we that we had, and that, so we started this in 2010 as when we officially launched Handicap This. So that first script was in 2010, and we've gone through, you know, just million different rewrites and and tweaks and changes and throw things away, and bring them back. <laughs> <laughs> so the, 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 at the end of the day, it's a two man stage show. That that's what that's what it is, and, and it's Mike and I's relationship on stage, and we do it in a fun and entertaining way, but also in an empowering, in uh, an educational way as well. So we do that for colleges, we do that for corporations, we do it for high schools, we kind of do it for any kind of audience. Um, the, it's best played in a theater. Like it really, um, we we're able to do a little bit more different things in a theater than we're at some, you know, uh, hotel conference room. We've done them in hotel conference room. We've done them in corporations, cafeterias. We've done yeah. them outside under a tent. <laughs> <laughs> done them all over. Uh, but the, it play, they play best in the theater. So, you know, we've, we, we use, we use that, uh, we use our relationship as the kind of the springboard, but we also do public, we also do keynote speaking as well. And it's really the keynote speaking is just, it's a different format of the show. Um, and we kind of, we're able to kind of, tailor the message more to the group so like you know if we have a group of you know let's say uh, physical therapists or teachers or whatever that we can we can gear our message more towards them and if we have an audience full of you know lawyers we can do we could we could uh, segment our, our our information towards lawyers or whatever the case may be you know for for speaking we 
we tailor our, our message a little bit more. And then for the shows, we just we just do our show. And you know, it's it, it, the show pretty much can fit in any any format, but um, it just for us, I guess the way that we kind of um, we we separate it is you know sh- we have a show and we have keynote speech yeah and they're they're, they're the same they're similar they're like equal but different separate <laughs> but equal you know, that's like that's how we always say they're like they're separate but equal and they're different but they're the same and it's hard to explain to someone that that isn't uh, if you haven't seen it yet if you haven't seen it and if you yeah if you don't if you yeah if you haven't seen it you, it's hard to really explain uh the difference but uh yeah a lot of times when i'm like you know like talking to the clients on the phone i'll be like well our <laughs> our show is like a concert and our speaking is more like an unplugged version where it's you know <laughs> <laughs> that's a great way of explaining it then then i then i think they get it pretty much so yeah. we do I mean, we, mike and i we do a fair bit a fair amount of improvising uh, in both speaking and in the show and because we've and we've done so many in the in the last 6 years it, it gets better and better and people don't know what's supposed to be in the show and what's improvised and what's in the show and what's not improvised so it's it's pretty cool that's great so did you have have you always been comfortable with public speaking or going into this was it something you had to overcome so i was a communication major in college okay so that um it was i don't want to say it was second nature to me but it was something that i was not um I didn't necessarily have the fear of public speaking. And then um, when I was 21, I went actually to an Unleash the Power Within uh, seminar, uh, Tony Robbins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember, like, I I was 21. I was going through my own personal stuff at the time. And I I went to this this seminar, and I remember sitting down going, oh, my God, I want to do what he does. Yeah. (laughs) I had no clue how to do it, right? So I'm like... Since I was 21, I wanted to be a professional speaker. So um, it's been a, a long and crazy road. And I had I, I did some speaking for different companies when I in my early 20s, and then uh, kind of went off the beaten path. And then I started, you know, being Mike's one-on-one aid, and and you know, I started businesses, and I just kind of did all these different kind of things. And then once people started asking Mike and I to hear our story, just everything kind of clicked. So everything I worked on before and everything I learned before now applied to this new venture with Mike. So it really, um, it was a, a long, arduous path, but it brought me to where I needed to be. Yeah, I know when I look back on my student teaching or my first year, or even like my second or third year of teaching, I'm like, what in the hell was I doing? Do you have that? Like, does it painful to look back and like think about your 21 year old giving public speeches? Oh, absolutely, yeah. So, <laughs> so here, this is this. That's a great, great question. So I was 21. Um, let's see. That's when I had I had this dream, and then I I became um, the youth director at my parish. So I had opportunities to speak in front of kids a lot. And then um, after I left that, I was like 25, and I decided that I'm just gonna I'm gonna do my own public seminar. So I'm 25. I rent out uh, a ballroom, a <laughs> hotel ballroom by my house, and I'm like just I basically I tried to put on a Tony Robbins seminar when I was 25 and didn't have the the audience, the no money, or anything. Right? <laughs> right. 
so what it was was I, I was I geared it towards kids because I'm like, all right, well, I have the authority to, to speak to the teens, and I was the youth director, and so people knew me and this and that. So long story short, and I say that too much. I, I, sh- I got to pull that away. Uh, I, I, say, st- I say awesome way too much. My wife like, listens to the podcast, and she says, <laughs> she says she's going to drink every time I say awesome. That's the game. And, ooh, so you have to tell me how how uh, how that works. Yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> so I I, uh, I had this this idea and I, I took action and I threw a lot of money at it and I ended up um, losing about ten thousand dollars putting on this seminar. Oh. I had like I had I had two people there to film it and I had like forty people come. So like I had this, I had the big ballroom, like I said, like I I went like all in, and I'm like this is gonna be like Tony Robbins, right? And I, you know, and I had like 40 people in this mega ballroom, right? Um, <laughs> and I had two cameramen uh, that filmed it, like, and then this was like when v, it was still VHS yeah. too, so like yeah. I had like VHS recordings of this, so I did this, um, you know, this this. I would say it was probably like a two hour workshop um, <laughs> and I got kicked in the teeth big time. But you learned and a lot. That's the thing about I failure. Did, you learned so much I, from that. I definitely learned a lot and it was something that, um, you know, I, I guess I, I don't have problems like going for things. It's just, I had the problem in trying to figure out how to, how to make it work. I, a lot of times what I, what I do is I, I kind of like jump off the cliff and build wings on my way down. That's what I want to get to with your run, with your runs both the times. But, uh, but yeah, cause I think, I think that's an important skill to have. Um, because if you start anything, no matter what it is, like public speaking, for instance, you're not going to be good at it right away. And I always would tell my uh, 7th and 8th graders, because they were really, like, self-conscious about anything they did. They didn't want to look stupid. Of and, course. You know, I always, I always compare it to, you know, a baby, right? If the very first time a baby stood up and then tried to take that first step and then ultimately <laughs> just fell over, if, if, if you, like, gave them a grade right then, you're like, you got an F, sorry, you're never going to be able to walk. Or if they right, were, exactly. like... I'm embarrassed to even try to walk now. They'd never learn how to walk. Like, of course exactly. you're not gonna. Of course you're gonna have some failure in there. Well, um, you could, you could, you could graduate that to, to learning how to ride a bicycle too. Same thing, right? Exactly. I just bought. You know, I got my daughter's bike right behind me. That we Because <laughs> I remember when I first started learning how to ride a bike, I fell hard. I would skid my knee. I was bleeding, crying, and it's like you don't want to get back on and, and learn how to do it because it hurt. Yeah. But. You still do it, right? Because all your friends are doing it, and you want to be able to go to the park and not, you know, have to have to walk or whatever. So you, you learn and you suck it up, and you'd say, "All right, I'm going to learn how to do this." And you take some bumps and some scrapes and some bruises, and yeah. you you do. How did uh, how did Mike feel about public speaking? He, I know I would have to, I, I would have to say he's a natural. Like he, yeah. like he he doesn't have that conscious feeling about what he looks like or what you know self-conscious or anything like that so and he's like this just witty and funny and so he basically just has a conversation with the audience and or i should really say he has a conversation with me and the audience is just listening to it yeah so sort of is how it is so he just he never had any hang-ups never had any uh, issues with it at all um i mean it was kind of like uh you know fish to water really like he was 
he never he didn't need any any help with getting on stage like that was that was not an issue for him yeah nice so um how do you actually get other people involved with your organizations like at the end of handicap this or throughout it do you mention ways they can help and yeah, so in in the show uh, handicap this we we mentioned keep on keeping on and how that's like kind of an extension of what we do on on stage and, and that's kind of what we do out in the real world so to speak. Um, so people, you know, they, they contact us through our websites, they contact us um, just through picking up the phone and calling or um, you know volunteering at events things like that. So you know our our I would say like with keep on keeping on, you know we kind of. Are more about raising money and then um, giving it to. How the best, best way to describe it is, you know, we don't have right now. We don't have a lot of programs for volunteers to kind of plug into. Um, you know, we have we've had some uh, carpenter projects that we've been able to get some people to help on, but there haven't been as consistent. So it's hard to keep volunteers if you don't have something consistently going on. So for us, um, because. We're an all-volunteer organization. We have, um, you know, we don't have a huge endowment or, or, or payroll or anything like that. So it's 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 uh, different for us to how how we interact with you know, organizations and whatnot. And so it's I guess I guess the the, the long answer to to, to to your question is that it's harder for us to get volunteers because we don't have enough consistent. Um, activities going on now we yeah. you know so what i was saying is again we, we raise money and then you know we 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 find cases help you know so that so basically how people help us is they bring us cases really like we've had many people in the past like say you know we have um like there's one example one of my uh, friends um she's a speech pathologist and she works at a school and and she was she called me she's like tim we have this girl she's got cerebral palsy and she wants to join the band and her family doesn't have um enough money to buy a trumpet would would that be something that your organization does would you buy a trumpet for her? I'm like, well, I'll bring it up to the board and we'll i, I don't see why not and we, we bought her a trumpet and yeah. she was able to she was able to be in the band because we bought the trumpet. Um, so it's things like that that we that we're able to do that uh, is really cool, and you know it makes an immediate impact. So you know, I guess the best way to describe it is you know the the way that people can get involved in our organization is, is bring us bring us bring us donors or, or bring <laughs> us uh, bring us uh, people to help cases to help. Yeah, that's great. See, I said that's great instead of that's awesome. I just caught myself. Now I'm self-conscious. <laughs> All right, so I want to hear about the run. Um, I guess I haven't really discovered. See, you know how some podcasts are ultra-focused on a certain area? Sure. Um, and, you know, that's great. Narrowing it down, I think that's a really important idea. But for my interest, I like to hear about all sorts of, you know, various stories. Usually they have kind of an athletic mix into it. You right. Know? And so I, the thing that's so inspiring about your story is you competed, maybe not competes, not the best word, but you, you went for this great athletic endeavor and you had a purpose because so many times running is kind of a selfish endeavor you're doing it for yourself right. and ultimately right. it helps others because you're feeling better you're feeling healthier 
you know, you're going to be in a better mood. But you did it for someone else and you did it for a higher purpose. And that's really inspiring because you don't you don't get that all the time. You know, I think that that's what enabled me to, to be successful. So um, when I in 2005, when I, I embarked the first time. And this is kind of kind of goes back to like throwing the seminar, right? I mean, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. The one thing that I'll tell you that I did that was that was the best thing I did was I hired a coach. Um, his, his name is Stu Middleman, and Stu uh, Stu was a world record holder. He isn't they, his record has been beaten, but in 1985 and 86, he was the world record holder for. Um, a thousand miles in 11 days. Like he had, he ran the fastest time in, in, in back-to-back years. So, you know, this was someone that was like this, you know, huge, huge icon in the, in the, in this, in the uh, ultra distance running, but this was like in the mid eighties. So no one really knew about him. And then again, it goes back. Everything always comes back to Tony Robbins, I guess. But so Tony Robbins found out about, about him and, Wrote, he wrote about him in one of his books, and that's how I got introduced to Stu was through Tony Robbins. And then I actually met Stu in Hawaii in the 90s when I went and part of uh, Tony Robbins' uh, Life Mastery Program. So I met Stu in 95, so I knew I knew him, but he didn't know who I was. But the, the, the crust of Stu's teachings for running was he, he learned from Dr. Philip Maffetone. And the, the whole thing is to use... Um, your body's fat stores as your energy stores. So most people, when they when they run, they're sugar burning. So that's why you're going to hit a wall when you're in the marathon at mile 20 or whatever. When you're when you're um, utilizing your your fat as your energy source, you have almost an unlimited supply of of fat to, to use at your disposal. So I guess the, the from I think it's you have like. 2,500 calories to burn from sugar at any given time, yep. and then you, and then you have like 130,000 calories to burn <laughs> at any given time. That's why if you're relying on carbs, you hit that wall, like exactly. you said, about mile 22. And yeah. the, the Maffetone method was, I mean, it's pretty widely accepted now, I'd say. There's, it, it, that's it, a it, big it. trend, but um, back in the 90s, man, that was like highly criticized oh. and controversial. It, it, and it was, yeah, it was, no one knew about it. Like, no one knew what uh, what to make of it, right? So, um, like you said, it was controversial. And, and it did, when it, get, it flew in the face of everything that everyone ever knew, so it wasn't really, it wasn't widespread or, or uh, really popular. So, but Stu had the results, right? I mean, I've always been taught to follow the results. Don't worry about how many degrees they have on the wall. Let's, you know, let's see, let's see yeah. the results, right? So, um, Stu also ran... From San Diego to New York City, uh, in I want to say it was like fifty-two days or something like that. Or, you know, it was sixty. It was like sixty days, and it was fifty-two miles a day, something like that. It was something insane like that. So when I heard that he did that, I'm like, that. So I want to. I want him to coach me, right? And I'll never forget this. So this was back in 2005. Uh, I went for a run, right? And I was not a runner. I, I mean, I was not, I never ran in a 5K. I never ran in a 10K, no K, you know, never ran a marathon. But I, I would run for exercise occasionally. So April 1st, 2005, I went for a run. And then the, that's when the idea popped in my head about taking Mike and David to, to Walt Disney World. And then, and then me running back. So when I got back from, from that run, 
I first, the first thing I did was I looked at my wall and I'm like, all right, when can I do this? So it was April 1st. The only month that I was uh, available was August. That was the only month. <laughs> That I was available. Just the like hottest had, month, no biggie right, exactly, in Florida. Exactly. <laughs> but I, I needed to train anyway, so I wasn't too worried about that. Like I wasn't even. I was just thinking, what is? Uh, I was working for um, a company. I was a, a speaker for. Um, it was called Winning the Money Game. Uh, it was for college students how how to how to graduate college so you're not in mounds and mounds of debt. And uh, actually, I mentioned his name before, Adam Carroll. Um, he was. Him and Chad Carden uh, started this program, and then they they brought me on to help deliver the program to, to schools. So, in I started I started having uh, gigs lined up in September and whatnot, and I had some stuff before. Um, I was uh, I worked at a at a camp in July, so I couldn't do it in July. So, like August was like the, really the only month that was wide open. So. I'm like, I'm going to do this in August. That gives me four months. So after I did that, I called Stu. I, I, I went online and I found him and I called him because his number was on his website. And I remember leaving a message. And um, <laughs> so he called me back and he's like, so what's going on? And I'm like, well, here's what I want to do. And I explained Mike and I explained the whole thing. And then he's like, all right, let's do it. And um, it was crazy because... I couldn't believe. Like I thought, he, I thought he was gonna be like Tim. You're not a runner. This is 1,200 miles. <laughs> in August, like you said, like the hottest month of the of the year. You have absolutely zero experience doing anything like this. You're crazy. Get out of my face. Like I was really, I was. That was what I was expecting to yeah. hear. And he was like, let's do it. And um, I was like taken aback a little, a little bit by that, but I'm like, all right. So then, you know, we started like right away, we started like getting into it. Um, and, you know, I, I got, I was getting coached by him. And then we set up a time I was going to be in San Diego in, uh, in May, in the middle of May. So he goes, why don't we, and he lives in San Diego. So uh, he goes, why don't we set up a time where you come, we'll go run together. And that'll be kind of like our point of no return where, you know, if you're totally not, you know, not making the strides or whatever, then we can, you know, that'll be where it was. And obviously that was never uh, going to be a thought in my mind. Like that was not going to be. be an option. It can't uh, be. Or you're not, not going to do it. It's not going to be an option. So <laughs> I, anytime like he gave me a training regimen, like I was all over it. Like I, I didn't miss it, didn't miss a beat. And I did everything to the letter, like anything he gave me, I did exactly like he said. So, um, come, come May of 2015, it was like May 15th or something like that. Uh, you know, we, we ran at that point in time, the longest I'd ever run prior to getting on a plane out to, out to San Diego was about two and a half hours. That was the longest I ever ran at one, one, one stretch of time. So on the plane ride to, uh, to San Diego, I remember I'm like, I want to ask Stu one question. I just, that's the only one question is why did he, why did he think I could do this? Why did he, why did he accept to do this? You know, that was the only question that I wanted to ask him while we were running. Right. So we started running and, and I didn't want to do it right away. So, you know, we were running, we're running and, and I'm like in a, like in a really good space with everything's feeling good and this and that. And we're talking about, you know, Stu's from like New York and he was a Mets fan. So we were talking about the Mets <laughs> and, up and this and that. So we're just talking about all, the, just all these different kind of things. And I finally bring up the question. I'm like, so Stu, I got to ask you this. And you know, it's been, it's been a burning question that I've had, but why did, why did you think I could do this? And Stu looked at me and he goes, Tim, because you believed you could. 
And it was like, whoa. And um, then I'm like, wow, belief, that's a powerful thing. And so that day we ended up running for five hours. Nice. Um, I, I, I was before, like, you know, the, the GPS that you can have in your phone. So I don't know exactly how far that was because yeah. we were just we were just running. But just based on anything, I mean, it, it had to be it was probably close to 30 miles. That'd be my guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, did you feel and, good? Like, oh, did you yeah. still feel right? Oh, yeah, I felt really good. I was so I was 31 back in 2005. So I, I felt I felt really good. I remember though, when I got back to the hotel, like I, I was, I was hurting in the in the sense that I just ran 30 miles. Like it was, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I, I guess I you could say like I was. I was sore from not moving, if that makes sense. You know, like when you're moving, you feel great. And when you stop, that's kind of when you hurt. It all like locks so, up, kind of. Yeah, exactly. So I was all locked up for a little while. And then I, you know, I remember laying in, in, in the bed in the hotel room and then, you know, uh, going out to till dinner that night. I, I kind of was a little gingerly walking. But then the next day I was I was fine. Yeah. Um, and uh, and then I had just kind of started get, getting back into the whole, the whole training. So that was, that was, so hiring Stu was, was the big, the big, uh, the big piece that really put brought everything together and made every, everything possible for me. Cause like, so the goal in 2005 was, was 40 miles a day. That was the goal for 30 straight days. <laughs> I, I did 717 miles and I'll tell you now after, cause I, you know, we'll, we'll talk about 2016 doing it again. Yeah. Uh, the, the what I learned in the two two times doing it, um, you know, mentally I was not prepared when I was thirty one. I was yeah. not mentally. Um, I, I mean, I was. It was it was hard. You know, I'm not, so. not just, um, because well, partly because I didn't have a full crew with me. Okay. So I had and I had to make all the decisions on everything. So the way it started off was, you know, we started off in Orlando and then I just started running and then we had a, then wherever I was, then we'd get a hotel the next place. So it was like, logistically, it was just like decision fatigue. It was really what happened. Like I, I had all the decisions and then I'm like, and we, I had, so my first, my first driver with me was 17 years old. Um, <laughs> and you know, he, I, I, I was a coach, uh, a speech coach at a high school that I worked at. And, um, we were on a trip and I remember telling people like it was like in, in June, I first just started kind of telling people what I was doing and, and his name was Ryan and Ryan's like, yeah, I want to, I want to, I want to come. I want to be a part of this. So I'm like, yeah, whatever. Like, I, I mean, I wasn't, I didn't really take him seriously cause he's 17 years old. And, and, um, amongst, you know, I, I ended up talking to his, his parents and his parents says, yeah, we want, we want him to go. And I'm like, all right. And it turned out like I needed him. Like I, yeah. I, didn't have anyone else. So, um, he, he came with me and he was my first driver. So like, I also then had a, had a thought, like, I'm, I want to be, uh, respectful to him, like in his parents, like I didn't want to put him in harm's way. So it was just like all these different decisions. And, and then it was really, it was overwhelming. So decision fatigue um, can be a killer. Uh, it, it, it got me and it got me early and it got me often. So I, I started off really, actually, I started off really good and then it just kind of snowballed. And then once it got to a point where I knew that I was not going to be able to do 40 miles a day, like I was going to be able to, at that point it was, it was even, you know, I was going to have to average like 50 miles a day or something like that. And I was like, you know what? All I'm going to do is like, I was in, it was in Georgia. I forgot exactly where I was, but I was, I know I was in Georgia and like, 
it was not it was not possible to to, to do 1200 miles in the, in the 30 days that i had uh set up so like i remember crying i was like i was running down like this uh area like next to a river i think it was and i'm just and it was raining and i'm crying and I'm, I, I failed i failed i failed and then i, I stopped and i'm like but i didn't fail uh, i just I'll, I'll fail if i go home now then i fail if i stay out here and continue to run then i didn't fail yeah so that, and that was what I chose to do, and I and I uh, and I, I finished on a high note. So you um, kept you it know, up I, all through August, even though you weren't going to make the distance. Yes, yeah, exactly. So <laughs> I, I I finished. Um, so I I did 717 miles is what um, what I ended up doing, and um, so I. It wasn't, you know, wasn't what I wanted to do. wasn't what, uh, you know, what, what I set out to do. So that was kind of always interesting like whenever i looked back at that run i kind of always looked back at it as a failure yeah. and i i almost reluctantly say that but i really did for a long time for a long time i always look back and go man you know i didn't do what i set out to do meanwhile everyone but, else looks at it as like the biggest accomplishment exactly, you know exactly exactly so that was kind of like this thing that was kind of i don't want to say haunting me but it was definitely definitely something that i wanted to try again because i didn't feel like I didn't feel like I had, you know, the enough enough resources to pull it off. I guess, like I, you know, I didn't have a crew. I didn't have, um, you know, I had all these things I didn't have, and 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 I actually self-funded that run. And I, another theme. Here we go. I, I lost thirty grand on on that because of all the the training I had to do in the hotels, pro- hotels, and everything. So uh, it was it was just a. Uh, that was a long learning experience as well so i love how you just jump in to like you know you just jump right (laughs) in doesn't matter i I think that's a it is a courageous spirit and and that's how i that's how i try to live my life um you know be (laughs) courageous and 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 throw caution into the wind uh so you know as a result of that run that's how you know we're we're keep on keeping on started as a result and then Handicap this started so beautiful things started because of it exactly all this good stuff started pouring out yeah and and then it was like okay well you know this is this is this is incredible like you know like i said people started asking mike and i to tell our story and we would go to different groups and we'd share our story that and the funny thing is i look back at like how we first started i remember we would like get dressed up like i would wear like i remember i wear like a a white shirt button down with a tie and mike would wear the same thing and that's how we that was be like what we would wear at these at these first initial speeches and then after a while we're like you know what this really isn't us right it wasn't us to wear a tie and it's not (laughs) so when we launched the show you know we're we were just kind of wearing our regular clothes right and then that's just kind of how we are we just do uh and our our uniform so to speak has kind of evolved but really mike wears a black t-shirt and jeans and i wear like a nice red shirt with a collar and i have these like red uh new balance shoes that i always wear whenever i speak (laughs) so that's like kind of our our little our little uniform um so uh but yeah i mean everything came came out because of that run that was you know the ripple and then they just kept going and, we, and more people you know started hearing about us and then more and more and mike and i just started you know being able to tell our story in front of 
you know, different audiences and colleges and, you know, really colleges really took to a liking and, you know, we did university of Illinois. We had like 1200 kids there. Um, uh, later on, we did a, a show for uh, Best Buddies. It's a it's an organization that the, the Schreiber family started, and they have this uh, conference every year. Um, and their Best Buddies is an organization. What they do is that they help uh, individuals with developmental disabilities, and they they team them up with students. Um, who uh, who want to help in like in grade schools and high schools and colleges, so there were two thousand people at at their live conference at the University of uh, or Indiana University, and then there were two thousand people watching uh, online live streaming. So we did a show technically in front of four thousand people. Wow, so that. Man. We're like still getting jobs from that. Um, well, it's one of my favorite. Right. It's one of my favorite themes that has popped up a few times um, doing this podcast is someone being brave enough to go out and chase some sort of whimsy, some sort of crazy, crazy thing they're going after. And then even if technically not accomplishing what they thought they were going to accomplish, but all these good things come out of it just because they were brave enough to take that leap. And I think that's amazing. And, you know, that's that right there is one of the most inspiring things to me. Thank you. Yeah, and I think that that I think that has been what's been attractive to to our story too is just kind of um, and everything's been so organic. Yeah. You know, everything has just it wasn't like we set out. It wasn't like when I met Mike in two thousand one. Like, all right, Mike, in <laughs> in nine years we're going to be on the stage. And we're going to do. Our, we're going to share this, and we're going to do all these things with force so that we you yeah. know. Not it didn't happen like that, yeah. and it just unfolded, and it really really was um, organic, and it just. It was. It's been such a, so much fun. It's been it's been a blast. Yeah. So this summer you flew back down to Florida, this time with all the lessons learned and a crew, right. and you didn't have to so make this, any so, decisions. So actually, okay. So this is this. We actually drove down. Okay. Is what. And I had uh, my buddy Danny Moncton, Danny Boom Moncton came with me to start, right? So Danny came with me. Uh, we drove down uh, the end of August, and we got to. Um, we got to Orlando August 27th, and the run was starting Monday, October, August 29th. So that was the run. Um, and so the thing that I learned is instead of trying to um, do a – basically what ended up happening, it was a symbolic run, Orlando from Chicago. Yeah. And I, but, I, but I physically went to Orlando and came back into Chicago. So the, so, first, the first time you actually tried to force gump it, or you just yes okay yeah yeah so and then and, and even on that trip I learned little things and, and learned along the way so the big thing was staying in an area for an extended period of time like so what I did was we got hotels that had kitchens so like in Orlando we stayed at the extended stay America and so we stayed there for like a week and I would just run through Orlando uh, near Disney World and, and lock up the miles that way and then that's how that's kind of how it how it was so by staying in a hotel with kitchens I was able to control my food and that was really the big thing like in 05 when I did it I, I mean, I basically ate whatever was available to me. Yeah. So I, my, my, my diet was terrible. Um, you know, and the only thing that I really had was water and like supplements. Like, you know, I had like, um, 
I used a lot of multi greens, like green, green drink. And, and I used the green tablets and stuff like that. So that was what I used in 05. And that was the only like real nutrition thing I had when in 05, it was, um, you know, basically whatever, whatever we were near, um, you know, I, I, I mean, I wasn't eating like McDonald's, but I wasn't, I wasn't eating good. And by, that, by that hurts your recovery every night. And exactly. And it just, and, and, and it's, and, and you don't feel as good when you're running and it just, it's yeah. not, it's not what you want to be. So, um, in 2016, that was different. So we were able to, you know, go to Whole Foods and buy fish and use, you know, I bought a lot of cod and we chicken breast. And so basically what I, I did was I had, I, you know, did lean proteins and then vegetables and like quinoa. Um, that was really uh, my, my a big staple um, was like cod, chicken and like quinoa. Like yeah. that, that was kind of that kind of rotated with and that that really worked well so danny he was my first my first mate <laughs> uh he was with me he was with me for like nine days and so he cooked for me and you know he brought me water so that was the, you know the big the big the big thing i learned was um you know have you know have someone have someone with you but really it was more so and i knew to have someone with me before i mean i had people with me um in 05 but it was but trying to traverse the 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 conditions was not having a home base made all the, the difference in the world. yeah and then what ended up happening though chris and this i i'm almost embarrassed to say so i was pumped to do this right i was i was jacked and so the first day so the night before danny and i plotted out our our, our plan so we found a, we found basically from where our hotel was there was all these sidewalks and we were, um, we, we were able to pl- uh, pick out a spot nine and a half miles away from the hotel where Danny was going to meet me to, to ha- help me with water or anything I needed. Cause yeah. the first, the aid first station, place, yeah, it was an aid station. And, um, you know, in, in the, in the morning when like you're, you're first going out, you don't really need a lot. I don't really need a lot of help in that first few hours of the day, just because, um, you know, I, I, there's there's no need, and, and if we did, I would just give him a call, and he would you know be there. So nine and a half miles, he you know he we, I meet him, and I'm like feeling great. He you know gives me the water, and then he asks me a question. He goes, Tim, do you want to change your socks? I said, No, I'm fine. Let's go. So the plan was then to run back to the hotel. So now I'm at 19 miles and then have lunch at the hotel. And then, you know, I had 11 miles to go. So that was, yeah. that was the plan for day one. So when I this get was back day to, one, when this, this happened, is day, this oh, is man. day one. Cause day, I know, I know where this story is going. <laughs> day bleeping one. Right. So, I mean, nine and a half miles, not even day one. It was like nine and a half miles. Didn't so get the double I, digits. <laughs> I, I, you know, so I, I run back to the hotel Yeah. and the thing, the problem was when I was when I was training for this, you know, I'm living in Chicago. I'm running early in the morning. I was I never really never really trained in over 90 degree weather. So the first day, it's over 90 degrees, and that's the only thing I can come up with. And my socks got wet, and I I got huge blisters on the bottoms of both of my feet, not wow. just one both of my feet so at 19 miles you know I'm, I'm changing my socks and i'm looking at my feet i'm going what the hell i'm like oh my god these are huge and i i basically i panicked and i freaked out and i didn't do what i was supposed to do 
So what I was supposed to do is I was supposed to get out my my blister cutter. Basically, it's a pin, and I was supposed to kind of lance it and let all the fluid come out, and that's what I was supposed to do. But because I was like so caught up and like I, I don't even know what what I did. I just I put on a new pair of socks and figured it was going to be all right, and it wasn't. So uh, day one, you know, I did thirty miles and. The, the last 11 miles were, were brutal. So I was, I was hurt. Day two, I'm like, all right, well, you know, day two will, will, will be better. And, I, and my, my blisters then had bubbled up. So Danny made like these donuts um, that, that I put, that we, we bandaged over the blisters, right? And luckily for me, Danny, he was a college basketball player. He, he, he played at, um, at, at Pennsylvania university and then uh, Penn, new pen and then uh, also at tulane university so he he was a guy that had gone he, he said that he had, he had a blister problem a lot with you know playing basketball and stuff so he had a lot of ideas and he was able to kind of be a good pit crew uh for me to, to help him so he he you know created these donuts and i remember day two i'm, I'm walking out of the hotel and i'm you know, I, I always use my GPS on my phone as to track my miles, right? And two blocks, my left blister pops. <laughs> Four blocks, my right blister pops. And I was like, oh, gee. And then but the thing that happened was, I'm like, oh, well, it feels a little bit better now. So, yeah. okay, fine. So then I, I kept going. And then when I got, you know, I did 30 miles day two, and then my feet were like really, really bad. So day three was the, like the day like that. I, it was, it's interesting. Like day three was, was a day that I'm like, all right. Um, I didn't know what to expect. And I ended up doing 30 miles on day three, but it took me 15 hours, <laughs> 30 miles. Oh. It tested everything I had, so like it, it just things kind of started bubbling up, and I and I I couldn't keep up. Yeah. So day four was that was the first day that I I didn't hit thirty miles. So I remember like I hit ten miles um, before ten a.m. on uh, on on that day four, and then I did seven miles in five hours. Wow. So, and it was just like I'm like this is a death march, right? Yeah. I'm like I'm not I'm like. Yeah, I could I could keep going, but I mean, then I'm just going to jeopardize tomorrow. So I'm like, I want to I want to be able to, to to hold on to this. So I I said, you know what? Let's let's not. I pulled myself off the course at 17 miles, and that was a really tough decision for me because it wasn't 30. But at the end of the day, I had to know that I'm in this for the long haul. I'm not. I don't want to pull. I don't want to. I don't want to just stop and not, you know, not do it. Or again, like we, like I said before, like in '05, I, I mean, I'm going home wasn't an option. So I'm like, you know what? Let's just let's get rest. Let's take care of my feet, you know. And I and I was taking care of my feet throughout the day, but I thought, you know, let's. I'll take like an Epsom salt bath and let's get a good night's sleep and go get after it tomorrow. So that was kind of like my philosophy was always like, I didn't, I didn't want to, I didn't want to sacrifice tomorrow for today. If that makes sense. Like I didn't want to overdo it on one day so that I didn't have anything for the next day because I needed to, because I had this for, you know, this is for 40 days and now we're in four and I'm, and I'm already screwed. Right. <laughs> 
So I, I pulled off at 17, and then um, so that was always so my feet had, had been giving me issues just the whole time, right? Or the yeah. this this whole time. So um, <clears throat> we. Danny and I ended up driving to Atlanta after we were done with Orlando and we got to Orlando or we got to Atlanta a little earlier than we thought. And I thought my feet were fine and I was able, I was able to, you know, to continue my 30 miles or whatever. And then on uh, day nine, I get out of the hotel and I can barely walk. Like my feet were just throbbing and they were, they were just, they were not, uh, they weren't well. They weren't well. It's like I had put them through the ringer, and it was. I this was the time that I I mean, I, I was I started crying and and because it hurt so much and I'm like what am I gonna do? I did three miles in 97 minutes. <laughs> I remember you were documenting on this on Facebook yeah. Live, and I remember yeah. these days. Oh my God! So that that was crushed. I cried. I was crushed. So I'm like, you know what? I'm not doing anything by, by, by doing this. So I, again, I pulled myself off the course and I went and I basically, I took a shower and I just actually, no, I didn't even take a shower. I just went into bed and I just, and I just slept. I slept for like four and a half hours. Then we woke up and then Danny took me to the immediate care center. So I'm like, you know what? I got to get these things checked out. Let me just, I mean, I know what they were going to say, but I'm like, I, I, I just want to go for my own peace of mind. And then also for, for all the people that were watching me and, and following me, particularly my mom and my wife, you know, I wanted to make sure <laughs> that they knew that I wasn't completely crazy. So I go to the immediate care center and what the, basically what the doctor told me is that your feet are infected. They, uh, and you, you should be you should stay off of them for two weeks. That's what the doctor said to me. Um, but basically, like, I was kind of reading between the lines, and she never really addressed my situation personally. She kind of just did it globally. And obviously, it was for, you know to save her butt. Obviously, and I'm not saying she did anything wrong, but I knew that that wasn't necessarily the best advice for me. It was just kind of like the global advice. But not many people are going to be doing what I'm doing, right? So I kind of had to take that with a grain of salt. So she said that I needed to see a wound care specialist immediately. She said, you need to see a wound care specialist because you don't want your feet to get any worse. So I took a step back and I thought, well, here's the deal. I didn't believe my feet were infected. I didn't because I, I mean, as bad as they were and as they were ugly and they were disgusting, but I definitely was taking care of them, if that makes sense, in the sense that I was, I was, you know, using, um, you know, alcohol swabs and I was cleaning them out and I, and I, I mean, I, I was adamant about, about, uh, cleaning them every couple hours and changing socks. And I, I mean, I really had been a lot of, I've done a lot of, I was trying to be as proactive as possible once I, once I was in this position. Yeah. So I, I didn't, I didn't think that they were infected, but then I also thought, well, if they are infected, I'll know pretty darn quick and then I'm screwed. Right. So yeah. I'm like, let's, let's again, throw caution into the wind and let's, let's, let's not, let's not feel that they're, that they're infected. So what I did was I took two days off and in those two days, I, like I took Epsom salt baths. I stayed off of my feet. It was the it was boring two days when you're been running for 30 miles a day and then you just don't do anything. So I was like watching TV. I was reading <laughs> books. I I was but then I was also like you know keeping up with people on uh, on social media and stuff. But I, I I was trying to be as proactive as possible with my feet. You know I was putting different ointments on it and different stuff. And I I was really taking care of them. Um, 
as, as much as I could. And, and what Danny had to leave. Uh, so the two days that I was that I was grounded, so to speak, Danny wasn't with me. So I was by myself. So it actually worked out well because this was there was a stretch of a few days that I wasn't going to have anyone with me, and I was just going to be by myself anyway. And I knew that, and that was another reason to be in a place that had a kitchen and, and have a home base like that. So um, I ended up. My wife ended up coming uh, on. Uh, it was during the week. It was like a Thursday night. She came Thursday and stayed with me Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and she left on Sunday. Um, so I know this is I'm get, probably giving you way too much information, but <laughs> so the, the the goal was to, to take two days off and then to slowly get back in. So on Saturday, that was the day that I was going to just go back. My goal was ten miles. Like if I could do ten miles on on Saturday, or on Friday, it was Friday. If I can do ten miles on Friday, I'll I'll feel. I feel like that that's a that's a win. I was able to do 12 on nice. Friday. I'm like all right, this is good. And then the next day I'm like if I, I just want to do 12. If I can do 12, we're good. And then on Saturday I did 14. So then Sunday the goal was I wanted to do more than 15. I'm like 15, 17, let's do it in that range. And I was able to do 16 on Sunday. So and what happened was like so Friday I just walked. So I did 12 miles and I just walked. And then on Saturday, the 14 miles, I was able to run. Shamble. I was able to, yeah, I was able to run a little bit more, and I, I, I did two more miles in, in like less time. So it was like I, I was, I was getting better. And then on on Sunday, I ran more than I did. Um, other than the first two days, I ran more than I did the rest of the. Did days. they still was, hurt? So then? I, Were they still? In it hurt. Pain? Yeah. But they they weren't they weren't. Like I, I made sure like that I I stayed on it. So by by doing it like for 12 miles, and then I quickly came back, took a shower, and you know took care of them. Like I, I had like I had a routine that I went through for, for for my feet every time. So so Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I I eased back into it, and then my buddy Joe Jessel was coming on Sunday to be with me for the whole week. Um, so Joe's from Oregon, and he came to Atlanta to be with me. So I'm like, I have to be. I don't want to be, you know, sitting on the bench when he's there because he took a week out of his life away from his family. So I wanted him, you know, to be to. I wanted to be as as well as I could for that. So without getting into you know every single detail, that whole week I averaged over 30 miles a day for that whole week that Joe was with. And That's I just great. kept going at like going at 30, 30, 30. And there were, so there were days throughout the you know throughout the 40 that I didn't hit 30 day 30 miles unfortunately. So the whole the whole kit and caboodle uh, I did uh, over a thousand miles. So um, I again it wasn't the 1200 that my goal was, but you know I this one like was by far and away like I I feel um, like a huge sense of accomplishment over this. I mean as opposed to as opposed to two thousand five where I would look back as a failure, this I certainly don't. Yeah. Well you did <laughs> over nine hundred and ninety one miles on blistered feet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's exactly. crazy. Um, and I mean yeah, the pictures that I put on Facebook, I know my wife has said that please don't ever do that again. Um, like my, I mean, you you saw them, right? Yeah. I mean, they were they were about as disgusting as you can possibly imagine, um, and they hurt. Like I, I was reading my journal the other day, like just going back because uh, I knew we were going to be talking. I wanted to have some of this stuff fresh in my mind, and I, I mean, honestly, after reading my 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 first day, I don't know how the hell I did. 
the rest I don't like I, I mean going back and just knowing how how much I hurt like I don't know how I did it I just I kept in the back of my mind going I'm gonna hit 30 no matter what now granted there were days that I didn't but yeah. that was the, that was the psychology that it was just it was gonna happen and unfortunately I walked a lot uh, I walked a lot of miles of that thousand a lot of it was it was walking which I didn't want to do that but walking was better than sitting so uh, I you know I I I, I did it, um, and I wasn't. Um, I didn't let the adversity get me. So, what really what, what changed everything, Chris? And this is something that I've heard this quote before, and I intellectually knew it, but it wasn't until I was in like the needle of the storm, in the eye of the storm, that I understood it. And that is, um, life doesn't happen to you; life happens for you. And when that. Got, like that was like when I was going, like I said, when I was going through the through the through the eye of the storm, when I like kind of started looking at that quote and seeing, all right, this this is meant to build me up. This is meant for me to persevere. This is meant for me to get through the other side and and be, be a better person, be a better man, be a better father, a better uh, husband. I'm not a father yet, but we're working on that. Uh, <laughs> you know, be be a better leader, better per, you know everything and. Then I started looking at the whole experience as, all right, well, you know, whatever's going to happen, I'm going to do do the best that I could. Because the thing that I that I knew that was that, okay, yeah, 30 miles was the goal, but it, that wasn't it, there wasn't anything magical about 30 miles. The thing that I what was magical or what what I could, you know, I couldn't control the. I couldn't control what happened, but I could control my effort. So that was what I focused on. I always focused on controlling my effort. And I couldn't control the results, but I could control my effort. Yeah. That was what it was. So I always just controlled my effort and said, all right, well, I can't, you know, if I, if I can't, if I'm going to be doing, you know, three miles at a, you know, 32 mile an hour pace, <laughs> that, that's just that, that's, you know, that it doesn't make sense. Right. Yeah. So, uh, but, I, but at the end of the day, like I, I defy anyone to get on a treadmill or, or just go outside and not, not even a treadmill and walk a mile in 32 minutes. Not say, not, not do it in 20 minutes, not do it in, in 18 minutes, but walk a mile for 32 minutes and see how slow that is. Yeah. And, I mean, you have to be, you have to be pushing yourself to do that. Like literally like you, if you could probably do that walking backwards you know, and chewing gum, right? I mean, it's 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 not it's not hard to do that, but if it is hard to do that, you're you're doing you know you're you're putting out the effort. You're putting in <laughs> the hundred percent effort you possibly could in exactly. that moment. I remember, like, I, I was walking in front of a CrossFit gym, and I <laughs> and I and I literally, I mean, I looked like an eighty-five-year-old man walking, and this guy got out of his car. He was jacked, and like I just remember him looking at me, going like. What the hell is this guy doing? Because <laughs> like, like, he's like, you know, this guy's like jacked. He's like in the best shape of his life, and and I'm looking like I'm 80 years old, like hobbling through, you know, through this through the street or whatever. And um, but that 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 was something like I kind of wore that as a red badge of courage. Is like, you know, this is something that that I just got to get through, and it's my journey, you know, my, my journey. And yeah. it's, it's what I got to do. And it wasn't pretty. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't pretty at all, but, but I did it. Well, ex, ex, experiencing those, I guess, as you call it, intellectual lessons that everyone hears 
and maybe you know it and you kind of think you understand it. But putting yourself in these crazy situations where you're going to actually experience this adversity <laughs> is so important. I mean, and it doesn't have to be going a thousand miles in 40 days, even though obviously that's what you needed at the time. <laughs> right. That, that, was, that was my journey. But it's just about doing anything that's outside of your comfort zone, you know? Even if you're going on like a single day adventure where you're going to go for a hike and you you don't do that normally you'll experience things on that hike that you wouldn't experience doing the same thing you do every single day oh there's and no it's doubt powerful. It's, it's really really it, powerful and what opens you up and then, then that's when you grow right when you when you're out of your comfort zone and you are um you're out there doing something that you haven't done that that's when you grow it's kind of like you know the um what's the what's the quote i'm thinking of um Ah, I lost it. But anyway, but yes, it's it's all the growth happens outside your comfort zone. Yeah. Yeah, man. Well, um, if you could leave us with like one piece of advice that you learned on that journey, what would it be? Besides the foot thing. <laughs> yeah, right. Change socks early and often. Um, no, I, I would say really, and this, this is going to sound cheesy, but it's really be present. Um, that's really the big thing that I learned on everything. Because the thing was, I knew my whole thing when you know starting my day, I tried to get out the door as fast as possible. Get out the door as soon as possible so I was out there just going. And I, I knew I couldn't run the 30th mile in the morning, right? I had a, but I, I could just get out the door. So be, so I was, I was present, I was in the moment and I, I didn't think too far ahead. And by not thinking too far ahead, that enabled me to get far ahead. Yeah. So I think, you know, when you're looking at different obstacles in your own life, whether, you know, you're starting your own business or you're, you're you know, you have your own journey that you're trying to accomplish, take it in bite-sized chunks and, and don't, don't try to, don't try to you know eat the, eat the elephant one bite at a time. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Um, can you share with us your websites and your podcasts and wh- where everyone can find you? Yeah, yeah, thank you. I have uh, a lot of different things going on. So f- for um, for the speaking and, and the show, that's handicapthis.com. Um, and you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, we're all on that. And, and Handicap This is, is, is that little acronym. Um, and for the foundation, keep on keeping on, it is Team Coco, K-O-K-O dot org. That's uh, the foundation. And then actually I also have a podcast uh, like yourself. It's called the Boss Free Society. Uh, it's with my friend Patty Dominguez. And uh, you can go to bossfreesociety.com. And we're on iTunes and all that. We, 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 uh, we interview entrepreneurs uh, looking, um, you know, that are helping people that, to become boss free. Cool. I'll, I'll be adding that to my podcast momentarily <laughs> on awesome. my phone. <laughs> awesome. Thank you, this is awesome chris i really yeah, appreciate, dude. Uh, appreciate your time appreciate you reaching out all right folks there you have it tim wambach please check out keep on keeping on uh org and handicapthis.com and of course his other podcasts which we were just talking about uh, Boss Free Society podcast. One thing I meant to mention, mention to Tim, he has like an inkling for, he has a gift for naming things. Team Keep On Keeping On, what a great name. And March 4th, an event on March 4th, genius. I think he should 
also on as a side gig go on to be a person that like a a consultant who comes in and just names stuff so tim if you're still listening at this point to a conversation you already had with me (laughs) you should totally be a consultant that comes in to help people name stuff um for all you listeners out there Thank you so much for tuning in, uh, especially during the holiday season. I hope it's stress-free. I hope you ate a bunch of food and you just did things that were good for your soul and your spirit. I was talking to my buddy Brady the other day. Shout out to Brady Manriquez, episode number one, who should be back on here. We should just record our conversations because basically we just talk about health and all that stuff. Uh, every time we talk on the phone, which is a couple times a day, sometimes. Um, but I was talking to him, and we're talking about the holidays, and we decided <laughs> to make a pact to just maintain. You know, maybe not be as strict on our diet or our workouts. If you miss a workout here or there because you're hanging out with family, I mean, that's not a big deal at all. So, The way I look at things is you can do things that are good physically, you can do do things that are good mentally, and you can do things that are good for your soul. And eating a bunch of food, drinking some eggnogs, eating some pumpkin pie, uh, that's Thanksgiving, candy canes, (laughs) I don't know, I don't know, eating unhealthy. You're not, you're just, you're doing things that are fun and are good for for your spirit here. You're not you don't need to focus as much on on being healthy for this week. You should you should I b- I believe the rule of 80/20. So if 80% of the time you're being really healthy and you're being strict, then 20% of the time you can kind of be a wild man here or there. So I guess this is coming out after Christmas. So this is the cool week between Christmas and New Year's. And by the way, next week I have a really awesome podcast for you. It's a returning guest who has accomplished an awesome event. Awesome. Anyways, uh, I kind of lost my train of thought there. Uh, If you enjoyed this podcast, go to our website, www.likeabigfoot. You can go to iTunes, look up Like a Bigfoot Podcast, subscribe. You can join our Facebook group, which is also called, get this, Like a Bigfoot. So go there. You can like the page, join the Bigfoot tribe. We're still working on that. Oh, shoot. That's next week's podcast where I talked about that. All right. That's a little preview for next week, which will be the celebration of Calvin Johansson finishing the 14ers project. And Calvin gives us some what I like to call cowspirations which is a mixture of his name and inspirations to get us ready for 2017. And it's going to be awesome. Anyways, join us next week. Love you guys. Happy holidays. See ya.